0: You're tuned to 102.73 Triple R. That means it's time for this week's edition of Radio Marinara. Uh, good morning to you all out there. My name is Bron Burton, and joining me by Skype is Farm. Hi, can you
1: hear me here?
0: Uh, I can't hear you, Fum. So I'm going going to um, (laughs) – I know that you're there because I can hear you kind of from a distance. There's not anything coming through my headphones. So Nerida is going to come and sort me out while um, I do my usual introductions and um, just say hello to everyone out there. Thank you so much to Tim Thorpe for uh, wonderful Vital Bits. Thank you so much to Andrew for Soulful Bits and uh yeah retro andrew with his soulful bits this morning and of course you can catch tim and andrew next well you can catch andrew next sunday you can catch tim next saturday at 6 a.m for uh another six hours of vital bits which will take you through the weekend um aren't we so lucky to have tim in our lives i count my blessings every weekend uh with vital bits all right farm can i hear you now
1: (laughs) i hope so yeah i can
0: yeah i can (laughs) gotcha okay fantastic how are you doing (laughs)
1: Yeah, good. It's uh, pretty freezing out here in Preston in this, uh, in this dining room where I'm uh, scrolled out. And uh, it's a little bit weird that I can't see you now, Bron, because we usually do so well with our dive signs during the show. <laughs>
0: It's um it's interesting um, broadcasting with no visual cues and that's something sort of that we're all getting used to I think at this point in time so yeah anyway we've got a great show planned I'm going to launch straight into it um, we are shortly going to be catching up with PT Hirschfield and Jackie Younger it's been about a month since the 2020 spider crab aggregation ended and um and most of the crabs uh, apart from the ones taken out of the water of course but most of them headed back out to sea um, but the campaign to increase the protection of Spider Crabs continues because of course we know that they'll be back. Uh, they'll be back sometime around sort of oh, I don't know anywhere between that March, April May bracket next year. Um, and the clock's already ticking. It feels like it's a long way off but um, as we know these things come around really quickly. So we're going to catch up with Jackie uh, Younger from the Spider Crab Alliance and PT Hirschfield from Spider Crabs Melbourne. And just to really find out what they've been doing over the last few months, probably catching their breath, I'm guessing, maybe not. maybe they've been forging ahead and what their plans are in the months ahead. Um, I've got quite a lot of news, which uh, I'll do a little bit of in a minute and then um, just touch on some of that at around 9.25. And then, Fum, you've got some really interesting research to talk about.
1: Yeah, um, we're talking about uh, some research that has come out uh, that was done actually more than 10 years ago, but they've only just published it in the Journal of uh, Applied Ecology. And it's about artificial reefs and uh, their effect on increasing fish stocks. So we'll be talking about that.
0: Cool. And um, I've made a bit of a deal of this. <laughs> You've got some interesting trivia on some nudie branks as well. We we know there's oh a lot God, of people yeah. out there who love nudie branks.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a very short uh, bit of trivia that I will tell you all about. But, uh, yeah, sometimes Twitter just amazes me. Um, so stick around and hear something about nudie branks that you did not know before, I promise you.
0: Excellent. I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, And then to close the show, our wonderful Jeff Maynard is bringing us this month's Sound Waves. And um, I've put Jeff on the spot a bit in the last few editions of Sound Waves with various things that I've come across. Um, So, uh, yeah, Sound Waves is returning to its happy place this month and for yet another attempt to save the world using undeniable wisdom of 1960s drive-in movies. Um, And I, I guess one of the... I don't know whether it's a benefit or not, but of our current um, state of being is that I'm actually getting to preview the tracks that um, Jeff will be playing because he sends them through to me and then I have to send them through to, in this case, Nerida, who's panelling today. Um, So, yeah, it's a ripper. I'm not going to say any more than that. But, um, yes, it's something that we're all going to enjoy. So make sure you stay tuned and don't miss Jeff's segment, which will be just before 10 minutes to 10. Uh, Fum, I believe you have a bit of a weather forecast there for us today.
1: Sure thing. Yes. I'm the weather girl today. So it is uh, Melbourne weather, Sunday the 19th of July, 2020, so partly cloudy. We have a very high chance of showers today, later this afternoon and evening, mostly in the southeastern suburbs. Um, And there is a chance of a thunderstorm late this afternoon and evening as well, mainly bayside and eastern suburbs, uh, but also down the surf coast and Geelong area. Gusty winds and possible hail with showers and thunderstorms as well. Uh, winds north northerly 30 to 40 kilometers an hour, turning west to northwesterly 25 to 40 kilometers an hour in the late afternoon. So if you want to get a dive in or surf, uh, better do it earlier rather than later. <laughs> and we've got some tides as well. If you're going to go for a snorkel in Bomoros sort or of the north of the bay, high tide is at 2.37 p.m. A low tide is at 7.30 p.m. if you want to do a night snorkel. Uh, surf Coast Torquay, high tide at 10.43 a.m. and a low tide at uh, 3.54 p.m. If you're going to go for a dive on the Peninsula, the Mornington Peninsula, uh, Bayside in Port Phillip Bay and Rye, it will be high tide at 2.22 p.m. and a low tide at 7.24 p.m. if you want to go for a lovely uh, night dive under the pier. And uh, in Western ports, if you want to go and see the Sea Dragons in Flinders, high tide is at 10.35 a.m. and low tide at 4.10 p.m.
0: That's fantastic. Thank you very much, Fum. And uh, I know that there are people out there who are still getting their dives in um, because they can, because they live down that way, and good on you guys. Oh, it's reassuring to see some of that. So um, yeah, it, yeah. And, look, it's great. It's great to see some of those photos on social media. And, it, look, it's all there waiting for us when this time is over. And I think um, that's a message that I'm just going to continue to push. There's no great rush to get out there and continue you know, I know for some people it's really a really extremely difficult time. It is for all of us, really. But um, yeah, that stuff is all there, and it will all be there in uh, in the weeks and months ahead.
1: Yeah, and uh, and a big thank you to all the wonderful uh, underwater photographers that are still getting out there um, because you flood my Facebook feed with beautiful images, and it keeps me it keeps me alive <laughs> while me we're locked up here.
0: Yeah, me too. Um, I've got a couple of quick bits of news and then we might play a track, I think. The first is, oh, look, I've got a negative and a positive. Let's start with um, the negative and then we can finish on the positive. Um, This is some news that's come out from both the Australian Marine Conservation Society and the Humane Society International about uh, commercially fished shark species, which is now being declared critically endangered. Uh, So we are talking about um, this has been an ongoing issue. Many years ago, we had Tim Winton on the program bringing this to, uh, to a, you know, large-scale um, public attention. Uh, and it relates to the Australian appetite for shark meat, um, commonly referred to as flake, and uh, the, the school shark has now been uh, listed, this was as of last weekend, as critically endangered by the IUCN, the International Union for Conservation of Nature. So uh, since um, being officially declared overfished in 1990, population of school shark in Australia has crashed to around 10% of original numbers with genetic testing estimated. There are only 80,000 adults remaining and that's for the entire country. So school shark now joining the ranks with scalloped hammerhead shark as a critically endangered animal that Australia still legally trades and consumes. So something to note, I think. Uh, just put that one in your memory banks um, because it's not a good situation and uh, we'd like to see that it would be potentially turned around. Um,
1: yeah, indeed. And I think if you if you want to eat you know, seafood, it's a really good idea to steer away from the top predators, I think, um, because we really need them in the ecosystems to keep all the other fish stocks healthy as well.
0: Yeah, I think it's something that we'll revisit um, at some point in the near future because we, we did pay this a lot of attention a few years ago. There were some really cool guides that came out where you could actually get a bit of a sense of um, fish that were being uh, commercially harvested sustainably and the ones that weren't and then the ones that were sort of falling into that grey area. Uh, we haven't touched on that for a while, so I think that might be something that we um, we come back to. All right, and the positive yeah, one... Yeah,
1: sustainable seafood app,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So we'll, um, we'll pick that one up in the weeks ahead. Uh, and a positive one, you'll like this one from Queensland's Whales and Turtles to Benefit from Plastics Ban. So this was another release that came out from the Australian Marine Conservation Society, uh, congratulating the Queensland government for tabling laws that will ban some single-use plastics and save marine wildlife like whales and turtles. So at the moment, we're just talking about single-use plastic straws, drink stirrers, cutlery, plates and bowls, which will be banned in the state of Queensland. Uh, Further products to be considered for prohibition at a later stage, including polystyrene products, coffee cups, takeaway food containers and heavyweight plastics. And these laws will commence in July 2021. So I think this is something to
2: applaud Farm.
1: Yeah, that's really great. And uh, there is also a petition going around at the moment to ban um, those ear cleaners, those uh, plastic ear sticks, because they seem to be washing up on beaches, uh, including in Victoria, in way greater numbers than any of the plastic cutlery and straws and things like that. So um, there is a campaign underway to get those things banned as well because people keep flushing them and they keep just coming out of the stormwater drains and the uh, but including the um, treatment plants as well they just seem to make it through and uh, end up on the beach so there's another item that they might be uh, considering as well for them
0: do you know who's running that campaign farm
1: uh,
0: not off the top of my head, but
3: I will find out and I can post it to our Facebook page. Excellent. Thank you. escuchando Radio en 3
0: Oh, indeed you are. Where the time is? 9.15. Now, as you're probably aware, each year thousands of spider crabs migrate, aggregate and molt in various places within Port Phillip Bay and particularly the Mornington Peninsula from March through June. Over the last couple of years, the annual spider crab phenomenon in Port Phillip Bay has attracted a growing level of attention, interest and harvesting activity. It's been about a month since the 2020 spider crab aggregation ended and individuals, at least the ones not taken out of the water, headed back out to sea for the next 10 or so months. However, the campaign continues to increase the uh, the campaign to increase the protection of spider crabs continues and with nine months until the crabs return the clock is already ticking so what's been happening over the past month let's find out and welcome back to radio marinara jackie younger from spider crab alliance and pt Hirschfield from spider crabs melbourne good morning to you both and welcome back to marinara
3: morning morning. morning fam good morning
0: yes we're all here oh it's a miracle. Now, um, five weeks since you are both with us and I'm just wondering what's been happening since that time. Let's start with the crabs themselves. Have they all disappeared again?
2: Pretty much, yeah, they're all gone. There, there might be the odd one or two hiding underneath a pier, but, um, yeah, as far as the masses, they're long gone for this season.
0: I was wondering about um, what happens throughout the rest of the year. Do do you see them from time to time? Do you sort of stumble across every, you know, an odd one here and there, not just near the piers and the inshore areas but when you're sort of out further into the bay? Um, Do you occasionally see one or is it really just that they've just vanished?
2: Yeah, we definitely see the odd one or two but they're, they're not around all the time in terms of where divers can encounter them. So when they do come into those piers and the divers and general public can see them, that's the really special critical time. But any one or two we see uh, along the dives is a bonus.
0: Now, um, I was talking earlier about what you guys might have been doing over the last four weeks, because you had a fairly intense few weeks during the time that the the spider crabs were here. There was a flurry of activity, massive amounts of media interest. Um, what have your groups been up to over the past five weeks? Have you had a chance to put your feet up?
3: Uh, you want to take that one, PT? Definitely. Yeah, I'll
2: take that one. Um, <laughs> Well, as you know, Bron, there were lots of issues of concerns that emerged around that 2019-2020 spider crab molting period. It wasn't just litter, but also environmental damage and increased risk to the public who flocked to the peninsula every winter to witness this natural phenomenon. And there were problems around the, the damage that was being done to the natural or the marine environment. And also that critical time of the animals' lives with so many thousands of small crabs being removed from the water before they even had a chance to molt. So as you can imagine, once they were gone, there was a lot of um, issues that we needed to address and there's been a huge amount of work going on behind the scenes uh, since all of that was documented a month ago. Some of it's been slightly impacted by the COVID restrictions, but we're really excited to announce that Spider Crabs Melbourne has partnered with the Spider-Crab Alliance and the VNPA to form the SOS Save Our Spider-Crabs campaign. We've been meeting at least one to two hours every week, making lots of progress, engaging with a broad range of key stakeholders and developing initiatives that advocate for a no-take season of our iconic spider crabs during their annual molting aggregations ahead of next year's season.
0: Wow, that's absolutely fantastic! So the the groups have all aligned um, and and come together. Um, Jackie, how's your group sort of feeling about that?
3: Oh, we're we're stoked! This is fantastic. Um, we all we have a really fantastic team. Uh, we're working really well together. Um, we've to celebrate actually our collaboration. We've actually um, come up with a we've designed a new logo. Um, to wait of also helping um, our supporters feel like they're on the journey with us as well so we've actually designed a new logo where we're getting people to vote on it so we've got them on our spider crab alliance page um there's a couple three days left to vote so you can vote for your logo that you'd like to see on t-shirts on bumper stickers all sorts of things so it's a real celebration of this collaboration
0: yeah there's nothing like a lot
1: Will there also be a new Facebook page for the uh, collaboration, or is it going to be still separate pages?
3: Yeah, that's a good question, fam. We're going to keep them separate. Um, our spider, mm-hmm. our Save Our Spider Crabs committee um, is a collaboration between all of these groups, so we're going to keep them separate. We share between our pages. Um, we found it's going to work, it will work better because we have, rather than creating a whole new page, the way it's working with Spider Crab Alliance being the open public page. Spider Crabs Melbourne, with the 2,500 members being a closed page um, that we share our information between. So it's, it's it has something for everyone if we keep them all as their separate entities.
0: Fantastic. There's um, there's nothing like a good logo to really um, you know having that visual thing that you can instantly recognise. You've got you mentioned that you've got two logos that you're currently um, you know testing testing the waters if you'll forgive the pun. Can you um, describe them both for us and how people can uh, can get on there and and make their their vote? Are they rem- are they kind of quite different?
3: they are quite different um we've got we, we designed about seven logos we had an artist design them for us and the the group voted on the top two which have gone out one is a black background with a very orange sos save our spider crabs and the other logo is a on a white banner with the black and and the red with a spider crab in the middle so they're very very different um, when people are voting they can go to the spider crab alliance page And for those members of Spider Crab Melbourne, it's also on that page and they can just click on, they just click on the picture they like the best um, and then they can vote in that way. So it's really simple and it really gives them a bit of um, ownership over this. It's a community project. We want everyone to be involved in the decisions. Uh,
0: How long is the poll open for?
3: It says three days, so I'm pretty sure that ends on um, maybe Wednesday morning. So, that's still got a few days left.
0: Uh, Jackie, I'll stay with you for the moment. I just wanted to ask you about that petition um, that was being run by um, by the Spider Crab Alliance. Uh, and when we last spoke with you, it had some impressive numbers. Where did that end up? Is that still open as well?
3: The petition's still open. I had a look this morning and we're almost at 33,000 um, signatures, which is fabulous. So just to give um, the listeners an indication of how quickly that's moved, that petition has almost doubled since in about six weeks. So it's moved really quickly. It's still open. Uh, there was an update put up on on uh, by AJ Morton, part of Spider Crabs Alliance, about two weeks ago. So it's still increasing. It's still open. Um, we plan to keep that open until we achieve a result.
0: And have you got sort of a target number that you're aiming for, or you just sort of want to see what happens over the over the time ahead?
3: Well, look, 30, thirty-three thousand is pretty significant. Um, <laughs> it's pretty significant already, but also it's a way of updating our supporters. Um, new supporters that come on can have a vote. So we have we plan to keep that open. Um, you know, who knows the numbers we're going to have by this time next year.
0: Now, last time we spoke with you, uh, as I was saying before, everything was running a bit wild. The crabs, divers, people crabbing media. It was it was a frenzy of activity. Um, and you were looking at meeting with some people to try and raise some awareness about some of about your concerns and beyond the petition, which is sort of more to a, a broadcast audience, I guess. Uh, I'm wondering whether you've caught up with any people in particular since that time.
2: Yeah, hold on to your hats. The list is a long one. <laughs> we've, we've been meeting with um, the Mornington Peninsula Shire Council, Mayor Sam Hearn, and his team. We passed on testimonials to them of what was witnessed within our communities about the problematic practices related to the spider crab harvesting over the last two years and Council have acknowledged that the spider crabs have strong local community value and high tourist appeal for the peninsula during winter, which should be safeguarded. And we've also been having ongoing talks with them about whether we might be able to have some kind of annual, possibly a festival type event that could really celebrate and safeguard this amazing uh, winter tourism event for the Mornington Peninsula. We've had some excellent meetings with the VFA. And originally, you might remember there was a Mornington Peninsula news group article with a headline that there'd be an official no to stopping what was happening with the crabs. Since then, we've had some really positive online meetings with VFA who've shown openness to listen to community concerns. And we're still discussing with them whether there might be some ways we can work together over the coming months towards better outcomes. So definitely watch this space. VFA, I know, are also launching some research into the spider crabs over the coming weeks, which will be really interesting. And I'm sure listeners will be keen to learn more about that. And relating to VFA, totally out of left field a couple of weeks ago, there was an unexpected change of ministers. The previous Minister for Pushing, Jarlith Pulford, was excellent in helping us address and resolve the issues that were documented about the stingrays with Project Banjo raise Awareness a few years ago. And now we've got a new Minister for Fishing, Melissa Horn. And although we haven't received any direct reply to our correspondence to her yet, we're really grateful for the opportunity to work alongside her either directly or via our meetings with VFA to try to address and resolve these broad range of issues before the next spider crab season. We've had lots of other meetings as well with recreation Mm -hmm. fishing stakeholders, lionel louch who's an indigenous man on the mornington peninsula from living culture who has told us that it's actually against cultural law to harvest or harm these species during their breeding cycles and living culture support the spider crab alliance we've talked to Baykeeper neil blake who's very supportive of a no-take season on the spider crabs and we know that parks victoria are also involved in discussions with the council and vfa on this issue Also, we've been writing to ministers for tourism, environment, local MPs, and we've still got lots of stakeholders to connect with over the coming weeks and months.
0: Wow, the spider crabs have gone away, but you guys certainly haven't. So. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's an incredible amount of work. Wow.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I, I, one last question and then we'll have to move on, but we will keep in touch with you over the weeks and the months ahead. Um, last week on the program we had Andrew Hunter from Cuttlefish Alliance in Adelaide and they seem to have a very similar situation over there with cuttlefish coming in once a year, aggregating, mating and then disbanding. So there's some strong parallels here. Uh, just wondering whether you've crossed paths with Andrew and shared your experiences and, and you know whether there's anything from his own experience that you guys are taking on board.
3: We've absolutely been chatting to the Cuttlefish Alliance, um, a little bit different with regards to their looking at commercial fishing. Um, we've spoken to them. PT's had a few good chats to them as well. And we are very keen to help each other, get advice from each other, give advice to each other and support and motivate each other along the way so that's definitely another partnership that's that's arisen and we're looking forward to having that to them a little bit more
0: excellent uh look good luck to both of you um good luck to all your groups and to the vnpa and uh and your new your new aggregation you guys have come together <laughs> as uh, as what was it save our spider crabs
3: yeah, that's
0: right. That's yeah. a good one, Don. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, look, good luck ahead in the weeks ahead. We're actually hoping to um, catch up. You mentioned the VFA's um, plans to do their satellite tagging. Um, Dallas mentioned this. Mm-hmm. Dallas De Silva mentioned this on the program some time ago, and I'm hoping to catch up with Dallas next week So uh, about, about that work. So, uh, yep, stay stay tuned for that, and good luck with what's coming up and really looking forward to seeing how this develops over the next nine months.
3: Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks so much for your support. See you, Brian. See you, Farm.
0: We still got Farm there?
3: Yeah, we still have me here. I was just muted.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Thanks so much to both of you. We'll catch you soon. No worries. Thank anyone. you, ladies. Bye. Bye for now. Jackie Younger and P.T. <laughs> Hirschfield from We'll Just Call Them Save Our Spider Crabs from now on. It is 9.28. You're listening to Radio Marinara here on 3RRR. Have a couple of station announcements, and then I have some news for you.
2: This July, the city of Greater Dandenong presents the virtual exhibition, Home, a collision of visual
1: arts and storytelling. Home celebrates the work of six artists from refugee and asylum seeker backgrounds. A raw and compelling exhibition. Home 2020 runs July 9 to August 15 and provides a thought-provoking insight into each artist's personal journey and connection to home. View the exhibition at greaterdaninongcom slash
4: home. Triple R sponsors. James Rain releases his new album, Toontown Lullaby, his first studio album in eight years. In Toontown Lullaby features searingly honest reflections on missed opportunities, the music industry and the modern world. With the singles, a little old town south of Bakersfield, low-hanging fruit and burning books. James Rain's Toontown Lullaby is out now via Bloodlines. Sponsoring Triple R. Hi, this is Wayne Lynch and you're listening to Radio Marinara on 3 Triple R.
0: Indeed you are, where the time is 9.30. A couple of quick things to mention. Uh, One is we've had a bit of correspondence over the last couple of weeks and I just wanted to shout out to people who have got in touch with us, reached out to us via our Facebook page. You can do that at any time if there's anything in particular that you'd like to draw to our attention or or send to us. Fred did that and we're going to be following this one up, Fred. He is from a group looking to um, increase, I guess, attention and ultimately um, state of environment around the Warrnambool area and uh, they've got a little documentary that they've put together called, uh, actually, farm. You mentioned this one earlier about the um, the cotton buds, and this is something that Fred is including in in his. Um, it's called Goodwill Nerdle Hunting. <laughs> I reckon Neil Blake might like that one.
1: Oh yeah yes yes we are aware of that group they're
0: fantastic so we'll get fred on um on the show at some point in the near future to talk about this because um all this sort of community level work that goes on is just fabulous and um thanks fred for getting in touch with us and thanks for listening from warrnambool too absolutely great so yes we'll catch up with fred um also mick contacted us uh to draw our attention to um, a campaign called zero litter to ocean it's by a group called ocean protect and this one's based up in Sydney, a handful of Sydney councils getting on board with this uh, with a podcast. So have you come across this one, Fum?
1: No, no, I haven't. What is that one
0: about? Yeah, no, I hadn't either. So Ocean Protect, uh, it's a podcast and really just drawing attention to water quality. And I, I'm guessing from what I'm reading here, it's to do with the impact of stormwater on uh, inshore environments. So thanks heaps, Mick, for bringing that one to our attention. We'll follow that one up as well. But um, I'll put a link, I'll put a direct link to that on our Facebook page. You can also go directly to their website, oceanprotect.com.au. So some great work there. Um, Emily sent us a message as well and uh, just asking us again about we've had dave donnelly on the program a bit over the last few weeks about the emily was asking us about the um the distance with uh, how close you can go to whales and dolphins if you see them and so just repeating that one emily thanks for clarifying this one it's um 200 meters so don't get any closer than 200 meters if you spot uh, or if you know friends maybe who aren't aware of those uh those restrictions. Make sure you let them know. Uh, so that's that is the limit. Two hundred metres is is what's in our legislation about how close you can get to dolphins or whales. Um, yeah, yeah.
1: And if you are a drone pilot, uh, because there was a fair bit of drone uh, footage as well of the uh, uh, whales in the bay, it's five hundred metres. You have to stay away with your drone from the whales.
0: Yeah, and, and look. People can't get out there with tape measures, but it's pretty obvious 500 metres is a (laughs) long way. So the the ultimate rule of thumb is don't don't fly your drones immediately over whales and dolphins just because you want to get some good footage and put it on social media because, you know, let's think about the animals themselves, please. Please, people. Um, The last one I wanted to mention was Cliff. Cliff is a long-time friend of Marinara and subscriber and spends actually a lot of his life down in Antarctica doing work down there uh, and wanting to let us know about some great work done by a mate of his. He spent 20, this is um, Cliff's friend, um, 25 years heading down to the Antarctic working with elephant seals. So thanks, Cliff. Um, I just wanted to let you know we've received that message from you and uh, we'll be following that one up as well. So lots of homework for us to do, farm.
1: Oh, yes. I love elephant seals. They're just so weird. <laughs>
0: they are. What's not to love? What's not to love? Um,
1: I know. Well, a face only a mother could love, but
4: we love them anyway. <laughs> yeah. Hi, I'm David Suzuki, and you're listening to Radio Marinara on 3 triple R 102.7 FM.
0: We just had a call from Michelle from EarthCare. Thanks, Michelle. Just uh, letting you know via us that they're looking for volunteers, uh, which is a great opportunity for you out there to get involved in some of the great work that Earthcare St Kilda does best way you can get in touch, they have an AGM coming up in August, mid-August I believe, so if you go to their website, um, we can put a link to that on our Facebook page as well and uh, if you're interested in getting involved in some of the great work that Earthcare does, all sorts of stuff, um, they uh, obviously when the time's right, they have some of their volunteers um, run guided tours down to the Penguin Colony down at St Kilda, Um, they have all sorts of admin stuff if that's more your thing, so yeah, get in touch with Earthcare, thanks for the call Michelle. And
1: they also have Uh, They also have the penguin research team there, so it's pretty much the largest data set that they're keeping of little penguins in Australia. It it spans for over 30 years, and uh, the research team goes out there and tags and measures penguins pretty much every fortnight. Um, so, that's a really worthwhile thing to get involved with as well, and as well as the pest sea star removal. If you uh, want to get in the water, even in winter, um, they always uh, remove northern Pacific sea stars from St Kilda Harbour as well. Uh, so, that's also an ongoing project that they're doing and definitely really worth getting involved in
0: yeah really good hands-on stuff that you can do um and if hands-on stuff is is not your thing and you'd rather do some stuff in the office you can do that as well so yeah a huge range of things to do yeah personally i know you and i would be the same Fun. we'd be wanting to get out there and, and get wet and get our hands dirty yeah
1: maybe not right now In say it's a bit cold <laughs> yeah <laughs> But uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, Earthcare has been—they've been doing amazing work. And uh, look, the, the little the little penguin colony in in Saint Kilda would not be the same, and would not be thriving as much as they would be now uh, if it weren't for the care of the volunteers who are there every single night, pretty much throughout the year, uh, looking after them and, and, and helping uh, the visitors enjoy the penguins as well in a safe way. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a really good
0: group of people. Massive, massive shout out to all you wonderful people. Uh, all right, fam. It's all over to well, you. Research. Yeah. Let's go. So there's,
1: there's two little tidbits of, uh, of science here. Um, one made me kind of fall off my chair this week uh, because every time I think that I know stuff about nudibranchs, something else weird comes up, whether it be a Facebook post where uh, nudibranchs are likened to David Bowie's outfits throughout oh, yes. the years and just like side-by-side photos of nudibranchs in their beautiful, colourful... Uh, uh, stripy clothes and then David Bowie in his beautiful colorful similar stripy clothes Uh, if you want to see what I'm talking about you can visit our Facebook page because somebody actually (laughs) posted that link uh, underneath one of our uh, posts of of this show today Um, but apart from the amazing lifestyles of nudies that um, Kate Mills has told us about over the years um, another thing that I found out on Twitter was that some branks actually smell really, really nice to people. Um, this is a totally left of center kind of thing, right? Because first of all, how do you know what a brank smells like, really? Mm. Um, but then I did a little bit of research because somebody said, oh my God, I just found out on Twitter that a brank here smells like watermelon. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I did a little bit of research and there are actually three known species Already, these are all from the Pacific coast in North America. Uh, one of them is called Meliba Leonina, and it is a scented um, nudi branch of the of the west coast and it smells like watermelon and the way people found out about this is when they put a bunch of them in an aquarium together, they all start exuding this watermelon smell, and you can actually smell it when you walk into the room. So wow. the smell is actually so strong that it will come through the water, out of the water, and then uh, people can smell it when they walk past the aquarium. Um, so that is just a, a very, very strange thing, and apparently it's not the only one because there are some of the, uh, the Dorid families of nudibranchs as well. Uh, one is actually called the sea lemon. Three guesses what well, that smells huh. like, Ron.
0: Really? Smells like lemon. Yeah, lemon scented.
1: It's a citrus fruit aromatic um, <laughs> branch, and uh, apparently quite pleasant to smell. And it's, it usually gives off that smell when the animal is being handled. So um, I'm figuring that it was the researchers or the aquarists in the aquarium that first found out about this. Um, and then there's another one that grows to about 30 centimetres in length, so it's a big boy, uh, that smells like sandalwood.
0: Huh. So we're not advocating that people should go out there and squeeze nudibranch on their chips or... Absolutely not.
1: That is absolutely (laughs) not what we are saying.
4: But what we are
1: saying is that nature, and especially nudibranchs, just keep surprising me. Now, apparently, um, some of the Australian ones do smell as well. Uh, Again, please do not go and squeeze nudibranchs or take them out of the water when you see them on a dive. We don't do that because we're good people. Um, But I will be finding out a little bit more about that, uh, about nudibranch smells and... uh, uh, why that is it's, it's a very interesting phenomenon so there you go a little bit of nudibranch trivia that's on this Sunday so morning.
0: cool is there any thought about and i guess we'll pick this one up next time about whether maybe they're chemicals that they're sort of sequestering from what they're eating or is it like a defense mechanism or something like that
1: yeah so usually they do exude uh, some chemicals that will warn predators away it depends a little bit on the species Um, but the, the Meliba leonina, the one that smells like watermelon, they actually start exuding it, especially when they're together because Mm -hmm. they're a gregarious species, which means that they like to congregate together. And so it is thought that they exude that smell to tell each other where they are. Um, and so they can all come into their little watermelon bubble and sit together and eat happy stuff.
0: (laughs) That's so cool. Um, (laughs) Excellent. Well, we'll stay tuned, and we'll pick that one up more in uh, in the future. Fum, I'd like to know a lot more about the the scent of the nudibranch.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It's like, who needs who needs uh, sandalwood incense in their house if you could just have an aquarium with a bunch of uh, Acanthodora in it?
0: <laughs> exactly. Um, okay. Now you've also got some research about. Uh, Artificial reefs. Artificial
1: reefs, yes, absolutely. So in May of this year, there was an article that was published uh, by the University of New South Wales in collaboration with the Department of Primary Industries and Fisheries and the Sydney Institute of Marine Science. Um, and uh, it was uh, published in the Journal of Applied Ecology, and the study was part of a large investigation into the use of artificial reefs for recreational fisheries improvement in estuaries along South uh, Australia's southeast coast. And the study's aim was to investigate the influence of artificial reefs on fish abundance in estuaries where there's really low amounts of natural rocky reefs. So basically estuaries that are mostly mud or or have sandy bottoms, and there's not really any structures for for fish to hide. Uh, So the researchers installed six man-made reefs in, in three estuaries in different places. And in total, they used 180 reef bowls. Now, I don't know if you've heard about reef balls before, but they've been been in use for coral reef restoration all over the world for many years now. Mm. They're kind of like half domes that are made of a particular type of concrete, um, and they have holes in them, and they're hollow on the inside, so it's it's literally providing habitat for fish, basically, and substrate for stuff to grow on. Um, And so they installed 180 of those, divided over uh, six man-made reefs in three estuaries, and they monitored the fish populations for about three months before they installed anything so just on the, on the bare sand, and then they monitored each reef one year and then two years afterwards. Um, because it was a fisheries experiment uh, in general, uh, they, they went for three target species, so snapper, brim, and tawin, because that's, that's what the, the fishermen like to fish for, and they found out that they increased up to five times uh, compared to the bare sand habitat before the reefs were installed. And they found up to 20 times more fish overall, so other species included, uh, in those locations. So that is a massive increase. And we already know that this happens when we install artificial reefs because it does attract wildlife and fish. But the interesting thing about this study um, is that, that, that they could see that also on the nearby natural reefs that already existed and that they also monitored, fish abundance went up two to five times overall as well. Wow. So by installing the artificial reef close to a nearby natural reef, they proved that fish abundance went up in general in both locations. And another thing that hadn't been proven before that came out of this study is that the fish that ended up living on this artificial reef were not drawn from the natural reefs or drawn away from their natural habitat to Mm -hmm. then live in those Uh, in those artificial reefs because that's always been a bit of a question, right? Like if you put an artificial reef somewhere, are you actually going to attract fish away from other reefs that are already existing? And this study has proven that that is actually not the case. So these species of fish will reproduce somewhere in the deeper water and when the larvae come up into the estuaries to grow into bigger fish, they will take up uh, residents in those new artificial reefs as well as increase their uh, abundance on the reefs that already exist um, because of the installation of these artificial reefs. So that's, that's overall a really, really good result for ecosystem restoration, especially in, uh, in these estuaries.
0: Yeah, and the, the, uh, the research around artificial reefs and their benefits just continues to grow and um, it's a whole, it's, it's not a new field, as you say, it's been a field that's been existing, it's existed for a long time, but just to really continue to get those positive, uh, that confirmation that they're actually doing really good things is a wonderful thing. That's great.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And also, I mean, we need to look at Port Phillip Bay as well because there's a lot of restoration going on with the oyster reefs that are uh, being reinstalled. Those are artificial reefs. And um, the Great Green Project, that's run by the National Center for, for uh, uh, Coast and Climate, where they are building uh, coastal anti-erosion reefs that are made of natural materials as well that will be populated by, populated by species from the bay as well so so in general it's, these are really interesting outcomes um not just for estuaries in new south wales obviously but uh, could have some really really positive effects for a restoration of the oyster reefs here in port Phillip bay as well
0: awesome hey thanks fam that was great
1: yeah no worry <laughs>
4: Hi, this is Tim Witten. If you want to know what's going on in the ocean, tune into Radio Marinara on one hundred two point seven three triple R. You know where it is.
0: Yeah, we do know where it is. Thank you, Tim Witten, very much. Hey, somebody else who knows where it is is Jeff Maynard. He always knows where it is. Good morning, Jeff.
4: Good morning, Brian. How are you? Yeah, well, thanks. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. You're back in your happy um, place. Well, yeah, because you keep sending me off to weird places like. I don't know camp 1970s British TV shows and all sorts of other stuff. So no, we're back into the drive-in movies, Bron, which is where we should be. Nice. And uh, and with marine monsters, and I think that's that's important. And I think we all need to be grounded in that kind of thing right now. Um, this year, as you know, Sound Waves Saves the World has been looking at the 1950s drive-in movies science uh, to look for clues to how we can make the world a better place. And um, now that we've got uh, the coronavirus hit us, it it did move the goalposts a little bit, but we've stayed on message. Um, And this week I'm actually talking about um, marine movies again, Thank you, Bron. Um, and it's guys in rubber suits, and and they're all the same. You basically put a guy in a rubber suit with, like, gills or something stuck on the side, and, regard, and he walks up out of the water. And this is all the movies, same plot, you know. And whether it's day or night... Um, uh, there's always an attractive woman in bathers like, draped on the draped on the sand on the beach, and the the monster comes up, and the wo- woman always reacts in the same way. She just lets out a really high pitched scream, and the monster carries her back into the water. Uh, until and this goes on for about an hour, and then a hunky guy who chain smokes cigarettes turns up in a really cool car, uh, shoots the monster and rescues the woman and uh i'm going for a classic this week bron uh the creature from the black lagoon
1: yes it, it,
4: it is a, it is a it's a great one uh, it's got the guy in the rubber suit and as always in these marine monsters from these things he's some sort of um weird amphibian type thing so let's have a listen to the first track and we'll we'll learn a little bit about this uh, rubber suit guy. The chances are much greater that that hand belonged to an amphibian Mark one that spent a great deal of time in the water.
3: Well then how do you account for the structure of the fingers obviously for land use.
4: More and more we're learning the meaning and the
2: value of marine research look over here this lungfish, the bridge between fish and the land animal How many thousands of ways nature tried to get life out of the sea and onto the land. This one failed. He hasn't changed in millions of years. But here, here we have a clue to an answer.
4: Ooh. Now, a clue to an answer. Now, what these movies do really well is they give us great lessons for modern day life. Now that we're in lockdown, the sequel in Melbourne, uh, and it's our second lockdown and we don't really know how long it's going to last. And, and if we come out of it, we don't really know if we're going to go back into it again in the future. The Creature from the Black Lagoon uh, had some successful sequels. And that's why I've, I've been looking at the sequels to these things to see if there are lessons that we can learn. Um, and now I'll tell you the actual lessons at the end uh, that we can learn. But see, see if you can listen to the tracks I'm going to play and, and what lessons we've got for today. Now the first, um, or oh, sorry, the next track is uh, a trailer for sequel number two. Have a listen, and uh, there are lessons for today. Here is a wild headlong flight into terror. Here
2: is a desperate plunge into the black depths of the earth. Here is a fear frenzied moment of suspense as mankind totters before a thing that multiplies
4: faster than it can be killed. By direction of the president of the United States, stay in your homes, I repeat. Stay in your homes. Your personal safety, the safety of the
1: entire city depends upon your full cooperation.
0: Very interesting, Jeff.
4: So we've got this thing visionary, that's visionary, absolutely visionary. <laughs> well, it is, but that's not the lesson. I'll get to that in a minute. That's, that's, not, a that's a bit, not
0: that's not the president
4: this either. Whole, this whole this whole episode gets a bit zen-like, okay? So, but stay with me. Okay. Anyway, the second sequel, they tried to actually alter the creature. Um, the science jumped in, and they sort of they started taking his um, his scales off the, off the rubber suit. And in the in the next in the second sequel, they took him back to the city, and they actually put the creature in a in a badly fitting suit, and they left his rubber head on the on the guy, and he sort of walks around the city like a, a weird looking Frankenstein monster. Um, but this this is when science got in the way. So let's play the third track while this guy's um going a bit burko in the city. Never before was science so determined. From the deeps of the Caribbean to the underwater jungles of the Everglades, they baited their trap and gambled their lives to put a daring dream to the test.
2: Gentlemen, the creature can be changed. We can make the giant step and bring a new species into existence.
4: Here was the grimmest cargo ever to reach civilization. Was this a new being created by a miracle of science? The fire burned away the outer scale. There's a structure of human skin underneath it. Or was this a beast made even more frightful by a mortal mind, more powerful by human emotion?
0: I think we are talking about the president now.
1: <laughs> okay. I thought he was a lizard person.
4: Now now the, the, the fourth the, the next sequel, they actually get the creature and they stick him they, they chain him up and they put him in an aquarium. Actually it's in Florida. Um, and they stick him in the aquarium in Florida and they get big crowds to come and look at him. And, of course, when you've got thousands of people gawking at this this thing, at this aquarium, uh, chained up, you know he's going to break the chains and start scaring everybody. So let's have a listen to track number four and see if you can get the lesson out of this one.
1: You can be the first man to scientifically study a creature that, by all the laws of nature, should have died a quarter of a million years ago. They dared to bring
2: him back alive from his haunts deep in the jungles of the Amazon. They dared to put him on display with the other denizens of the deep while thousands came to marvel and wonder. They dared to study him, to probe him, to tempt him with the lure of a woman's beauty, thinking that
1: mere chains could hold in check the primeval forces that surged and roiled within this strange
4: being from the dawn of time. Hello,
2: He brought the chain!
4: Uh, now Bro, big picture here, Brian, we're, get, we're getting serious. Whether we're looking at global warming, we're looking at the coronavirus or we're looking at a guy wandering around in a rubber suit, when you get an unknown threat, there are three things you need. Uh, you need one, intelligent leadership. two, you need to listen to the science, And three, you need people to behave with common sense. Um, And I'll let you sort of make your own (laughs) decision, form your own opinion about how well we're doing that at the moment. But they're the lessons. Yes, that's amazing. They're the lessons from um, *Creature from the Black Lagoon*. I hope we've all learned something, boys and girls.
0: Oh, I've definitely learned (laughs) something.
4: That's incredible.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Jeff.
4: You're welcome,
0: Brian. I'm looking forward to the next instalment in Soundwave. S- saves oh, the I world. Yeah. Okay. We'll catch up with you soon. Radiothon coming up shortly. So uh, really looking forward to that one. I think we're going to be pl- once again playing to your wheelhouse. Yes. <laughs> hey, thanks too much to uh, thanks to all our guests today. To Jeff, thank you, Farm. Not a guest, our uh, co-presenter. Thank you, Farm. Um, Thank you very much. Awesome. Thanks to P.T. Hirshfield and Jackie Younger. Thanks so much to Nerida, who's been panelling today, and uh, thanks to Kent, who's been in the green room. He will be taking you through till 11 o'clock with radiotherapy, after which Dr Shane will take you through till 12 o'clock on our program next week. We're hopefully catching up with Sean Doherty, the new president of Surfrider Australia and author of a great new surf book. Uh, Neil Blake, hopefully. Brett with Cabin Boy Diaries. And um, stay tuned, maybe a chat with Dallas De Silva from the Victorian Fisheries Authority. Have a wonderful Sunday. Stay safe, stay off the beaches, and we'll catch you next week for more Radio Marinara. Bye for now. Hi, this is Bron Burton. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page.